0: This is Michael Easley in Context, and it is a delight, a joy. It's fun. Uh, We'll try to keep it not too ornery uh, to have Dave Ramsey on the (laughs) broadcast today. What are you saying? Uh, Well, you know, (laughs) read right into it, man. (laughs) So 14 years ago, Cindy and I moved to Middle Tennessee, and, and you were kind enough to let me come by and chat with you in your office. And that began a friendship that I never anticipated, but to watch on the from the cheap seats, you had about two hundred employees at Ramsey Solutions in those days, and now you're over what eleven 1, hundred folks work for you, yeah, well, they work on our team, yeah
1: yeah it's amazing
0: it's it's crazy, it's kind it's of scary it, well you yeah. should be terrified. <laughs> So afraid. Yeah. <laughs> Twenty plus million people tune in to various parts of Ramsey Solutions Media. You have now. This is number eight. We're going to talk about today. A number eight best-selling, nationally rated. I won't even get into rating pro, how different books are rated, but as number one national best-selling author. You are considered a personal financial expert. You're the host of the Ramsey Show, and again, we're we're in the new building. If you've not been to Middle Tennessee and you find your way through Nashville, you need to come by. They have a extraordinary visitor center here and some of the nicest people ever meet will greet you and give you a coffee or a cookie or a bottle of water and you can walk around and see the history 1992 did you ever have any idea Ramsey Solutions would go this large and influential
1: I had no idea how much work it was gonna take (laughs) Um, I knew there was a lot of people that needed help with money. And I knew God's ways of handling money were the antidote. What the Bible says about money was going to help them. And I knew that, you know, what, 80% of the people walking around under the sound of our voice right now need help with money. And we had the answer. So we knew there was a lot of work to do, but we didn't, I didn't have any idea that it would take buildings and, you know, almost 1200 people and it would take hundreds of millions of dollars of payroll and the things that we've, that God has chosen to do here in his good graciousness, but oh my, And you know, yes, I saw the need and I saw it was mammoth, but I, hadn't, mm-hmm. I had no grasp of the scope of what he would take.
0: What, would you say you had a business sense early on? Like you knew how to, ma- I mean, I know you were even as a teenager selling real estate, but did you have a business sense? Yeah, I grew up in an entrepreneur's household. And so uh, mom and dad
1: were in the real estate business and they were always talking about you know, being in business and owning your business and, you know, managing your own destiny. And so, yeah, I was keeping a profit and loss statement on my yard cutting business when I was 12. <laughs> of course, so, you yeah. Were. I've always been, a, always been a little business nerd, but it kind of comes from them and probably just comes from being a nerd, actually.
0: But, yeah. You talked a lot about mowing yards we talked about over the years. Was that just something boys did in your neighborhood in Antioch? You just make a few bucks, go cut grass? Well, I went in and asked my
1: dad for money, and he said, You don't need money, you need a job. You know, go knock on the closest fifty doors and ask them if you can have the opportunity to provide their lawn care needs. Don't don't knock on the door and say you don't want me to cut your grass, do you? And so, dad gum at work. And now we call that child abuse, but uh, oh, back then yeah. they called it work ethic. So
0: yeah, that's a hard thing to transfer these days to younger parents and kids that they need to work for a living. Let's talk about this newest book, Baby Steps for Millionaires. Baby Step Millionaires. For those that don't know Dave Ramsey, you need to. Your first book was Total Money Makeover. Is that correct? That was the second. second? Uh, Financial Peace was the first. Thank you. No. Okay. And those are still in print, mm-hmm. selling like mm-hmm. crazy. And those who don't know the baby steps, give us a quick run by of the baby steps.
1: Well, we started teaching it in the last chapter of Financial Peace, the first book that came out way back in the 90s. And so for 30 years, we've taught people this clear path of applying biblical principles. You can have the principles, but then how do I do it? And so we came up with this idea that the way you eat an elephant is a bite at a time, baby steps. If you baby step, you can get anywhere. So baby step one is a $1,000 saved. Two is get all your debt paid off except your home using the debt snowball, which is kind of what I've become known for. Baby step three, then, once you're out of debt, everything but the house, finish your emergency fund, go back to that $1,000 account, raise it up to three to six months of expenses. And really, Baby Steps Millionaires is about Baby Steps 4, 5, and 6, which you do simultaneously. Baby Steps 4 is, say, 15% of your income then. Once you've got your emergency fund, you're out of debt, say, 15% of your income into retirement, 401ks and Roth IRAs and whatever. Five is kids' college, and six is begin to pay off the house early. Seven is the last Baby Step, and that is once the home is paid off, you max out all your retirement accounts and you become investing and you know you build wealth and become outrageously generous. once you to be generous all the way through the process because generosity is a core tenet of biblical finance. but once you've hit maybe step seven and you've got this outrageous wealth, you know you've lived like no one else so now you can live and give like no one else. And what we were seeing was two things. I didn't intend to write another book. As you know, Michael, we've got Ramsey personalities, 10 of them, Mm -hmm. including my daughter, Rachel's had three bestsellers. You know, we were concentrating on those brands and helping them get their books out at Ramsey press and, and our publishing arm and those kinds of things. And I really did not intend to get in the way of that with another book, but I kept seeing two things happen that were aggravating me. And I, Uh, Mm. and inspiring me. So I had to do it. One was the political drumbeat that's out there that says that America is so broken that the little man can't get ahead. The socialism drumbeat, that you're Mm. stuck, Mm. that it's impossible to become wealthy, that the only way you get wealth is you inherit it. And so we need to reorganize and have anarchy and reorganize the entire economic system, which is absolute hogwash. It's statistically asinine too. And so we were seeing that stuff. These hope stealers, I -hmm. call them, are people stealing the hope of regular people saying, well, no need to try because you can't get ahead. You need us in government to fix your life because you can't do it. It's a ridiculous political drumbeat because it's stealing hope. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. At the same time I'm seeing that, we've been doing this stuff for 30 years. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to have people do debt-free screams and walk into the lobby here, or I'm walking through an airport and they stop me or Sharon and I are out to dinner with you and Cindy and they come over the table and they go, Hey, Hey. And they kind of whisper. They don't want to announce it. Mm. When they get out of debt, they yell about it. (laughs) But, but when they're doing this, they go, Hey, I've been doing the baby steps for like 12 years, for seven years, for eight years, for 17 years. We're baby steps millionaires. And they named themselves. Interesting. They said, we became millionaires following this baby steps. It worked. And I kept hearing this, and I, they're everywhere, and then we did the largest study ever done of millionaires in North America a couple of years ago, airtight research, detailed, you know, had an outside firm looking over our shoulders so that all the controls were there so that no one could question the data, and the actual data says that 79% of millionaires in America, over 10,000 of them studied, 79% inherited zero, 5% inherited a small amount, like $5,000, which doesn't make you a millionaire. Another 5% inherited substantial money, but after they were already millionaires. So they already had a $1 or $2 million net worth. Mama died and left them two hundred fifty grand. Okay, so what that amounts is, 79 plus 5 plus 5 is 89. That's 9 out of 10 millionaires did not become millionaires because of inherited money. That's not a debate. It's not an opinion. It's a statistical fact. fact. hmm and I'm looking at that, and I'm looking at these baby step millionaires coming up at the table at a restaurant, and then I'm hearing these hope stealers, and I just got aggravated at the hope stealers. I thought we got to tell folks this can be done, and that's what this book's about.
0: I had to tell one story I've never told it publicly, and I get great joy to share it with all our listeners today. We're in Israel. Dave, <laughs> Dave, and Sharon went with us to Israel, and we're coming out of the Garden Tomb. It's one of the most solemn moments in the tour, and you—I mean, it's a wonderful experience. And this woman stops and sees you even though you're hiding under your baseball cap, and she runs back. Are you Dave Ramsey? Are you Dave Ramsey? And she screams, this is Dave Ramsey, and she brings her friends back, and she came up, and she whispered, you helped my son get out of debt. Yeah. Here we are across the world, Dave, yeah. and you're running into people. So, you know, you just don't understand the influence. I mean, you know it, but you don't see it up close like that sometimes. And it was That was one of my most fun, treasured experiences to watch – Jesus was here, but Dave Ramsey got me out of debt. So <laughs> He's here. Yeah, who's here? Who's here? Yeah. It,
1: the thing is this, and you know this, and I know this, and our listeners know this, that I didn't get her son out of debt. I didn't give him any money. But you gave him a plan. I showed him God's yep. ways of handling Amen. money and God's ways of doing stuff. It works. works. It, works. it works. It
0: works. Hello. It, you know, follow you, biblical plans, and they work. They work. Oh, that's just how this is. God know? and grandma's way. I think I've heard someone say, you mentioned a million dollar net worth, define that for folks. Well, there seems to be some confusion about this. And I don't understand why, because I'm a financial geek. You live in it. Yeah.
1: And there's only really one technical definition for a millionaire. It's not, you make a million dollars a year. And I hear people like in Congress go, well, he's a millionaire. He makes a million dollars a year. Like, you know, how do you not know what this, for those of us that have had a finance class, it's simple. Your net worth is what determines whether you're a millionaire or greater. Your net worth is what you own minus what you owe, assets minus liabilities. And so what you own minus what you owe, when that equals $1 million, when your 401k is 700000 and your home is worth 500000 and it's paid for, that's $1.2 million and you have no debt. What you own minus what you owe is $1.2 million, You are a millionaire. Well, you know, no one should have a million dollars. We can talk about that, but that's not the definition of a millionaire. A million dollars is not enough. It may not be, but that's not the definition of a millionaire. It's not a moral construct. It's not a uh, a biblical term. It is a mathematical financial planning accounting term, and it is your net worth. So if you're a billionaire, your assets minus your liabilities equal $1 billion or greater, which by the way is $1,000 That's That's $1,000 yeah. Wow. And so it's not that's a whole a whole other realm than millionaire. And millionaire was a big deal. It was the measure of you've made it financially. You're rich in the 20s. So if you think roaring mm-hmm, 20s mm-hmm. with, you know, Duesenbergs and flappers and speakeasies and that kind of, get that picture in your mind. If you had a million dollars then, you had a lot of money. It obviously is not worth it does not have the buying power Correct. today that it did then. But that was being a millionaire, I mean, even monopoly, right? Being a millionaire, that's where you get that. Even though it is not does not have the purchasing power it did in the 20s, it is still the first major milestone of someone as they're building wealth. And it's just a scorecard. It says, are you doing the stuff? Are you winning at this? And it's not a social construct. It's not a relational thing. It's a math thing. You
0: either is or you isn't. Okay. Now, you mentioned your, your assets. So I often think of a dead asset because my house is paid for, but it's a dead asset, right? Yeah. I can't touch it. And if I sold it, I'd have to go somewhere to live. Right. But you're still saying, again, for the average listener that's not a geek, you're saying that's part that's of asset. your okay. – It is
1: an asset. It, it's not producing income. But that's not part of the definition. Okay. It's simply a balance sheet transaction. Like I collect things. You've seen some of my collections. I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> like I, I'm OCD, <laughs> right? And so I collect things. So I've no, got you're cl- C-D-O. I might, have a, I, I might have a collection of whatever that's worth $200,000. It doesn't make any money. It just sits there to look at. You know, it doesn't do anything. Just because it doesn't create an income doesn't mean I can't sell it and turn it into money. Same with your home. Same with a farm I've got that I don't do anything with. It's just dirt. I just go out there and shoot guns and run around on the four-wheeler with the grandkids. That's all I do. But it doesn't create any income, but it still has a value. It is still an asset.
0: When people think about longevity and building wealth, my mind always goes to kids and grandkids. Yeah. Because at some point, you know, we're going to go home to be with the Lord and the stuff is left behind. So when you think about accumulating this kind of wealth, and you have encouraged me endlessly, and Cindy and I, in God's great kindness, are able to be very generous. But at some point, you you stop giving everything away, so to speak, and you've got this pile that's going to be there mm-hmm. when you go see the Lord and Sharon goes see the Lord. How does that factor into the construct of a millionaire and what you're doing with your balance sheet? Well, there's three things you can do with money, and that's all.
1: You can enjoy it, you can invest it, and you can be generous with it. And you ought to be doing all three at all time. And leaving an inheritance is not, you're not a sinner if you don't do it, but a godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And then I hear people that hate money and they're like Gnosticisms, you know, they're Gnostics and they're like against money and money's evil. They'll say, well, that inheritance that the Bible's referring to there is not an inheritance of money. It's an inheritance of spiritual character. You're leaving that with your kids and that's an inheritance that you leave to your children's children. Yes, it is that, but it's also money. Solomon built the temple with David's money.
0: Well, you know, in the Old Testament blessing, which is a completely misused term today, really had to do with. The prosperity of animals, of children, and land, mm-hmm. and that would be today that'd be wealth. Yep, it'd be in, an, in yeah. an agrarian culture yep. that
1: is wealth. Yeah, that is that's the ultimate thing of wealth. I mean, and so we see lots of wealth being left generationally in the Bible. So, you know, to say that that scripture, a godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, is not referring to money to try to spiritualize being broke or something is absolute hogwash.
0: I know you pretty well after 14 plus years as a friend and a brother. And, uh, you get real animated when people hate money or wealth. Do you get a lot of negative, you know, feedback and criticism about wealth and making a million dollars? Oh yeah, Definitely.
1: Definitely. Yeah. What's and the mainly, of that?
0: mainly from uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who are oversaved. What <laughs> they're over-sanctified. So what motivates that? You think is it so I have a theory, but you're the expert. What motivates it? Why are they upset about wealth and generosity? The old saying is is that you know, and we've all
1: used it from the pulpit, that you know, God made us in his image and we returned the favor. So we made him in our image then. And so we twist and turn scripture to fit our social sociological constructs and you get toxic theology then. And so you take a, you know, someone who grew up in a church where there were no one in there that was wealthy. Sometimes in that case, the theology gets twisted to where wealth is evil. You take scriptures out of context and even leave entire words out so that you can make your point that wealth is evil. And the Bible is very clear that wealth is amoral. Wealth is dangerous. There's a lot of warnings about wealth. But this idea that wealth is evil is simply not in scripture. It's not there. It's a tool. Again, it's dangerous because it gives you power and it magnifies whoever you are. So all the bad parts of me is I become yeah. wealthy or magnified. All the good parts are magnified, but it is amoral. It does not have morals. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil, and that's misquoted quite often, yeah, frequently uh, by the Twitter theologians.
0: And so it's the, that's an know, oxymoron. You yeah, can't even say that.
1: <laughs> but that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. But so the, yeah, it is it, the love of money, and and yeah, the love of money is dangerous. But money feeds hungry children, and you know, you want to feed some hungry kids. You need some money.
0: I was struck recently by uh, some of the politics around you know money and giving and universal income pay. There's this tangent discussion about benevolence and generosity, and I could be wrong. You're the expert who knows the data, but the American tending to be Judeo Christian is the one who gives to charitable organizations, beginning with a church down to a you know girls' club or whatever, mm-hmm. not. Those who are promoting socialism or a lifestyle of entitlement on the government—it's striking to me, Dave. That—that's one point. Another point, just my observation in working with churches for forty years: the people that gave me the most grief about money were people that didn't give. Yeah, it was alarming and disheartening when I found out that—and that was data too. We had an elder at one church I served, and unbeknownst to me, he pulled all of the uh, elders at that church giving sheet without names, uh-huh. from highest to lowest, and he passed it <laughs> at an elder meeting. <laughs> it, it was a beautiful passive-aggressive Ooh. move. Oh, some shade, baby. It, Oh, it was great. Wow. And I, I was glad I didn't do it, but I was happy to see him do it. <laughs> and I sat there, and you know, Cindy and I ranked on this list, and it made me nauseated because I knew what these people made in their income. And then I sat back and said, they're making decisions on how God's money is used in a local assembly, and they don't give. And I won't even tell you the number that gave nothing that's a problem Well what it enlightened me on was the people that complain the most about this are people that have trouble with their own finances that don't give and they're critical of other people and then they're also ready to vote to use other people's money at the drop of a hat.
1: Well and you have to try to then tall poppy syndrome you have to knock anybody off the off the table that's talking about this and so then I get accused <laughs> of being I get accused of being a prosperity. Preacher, which I'm anything but. Prosperity theology is not good theology. I do not believe it. But I am very much believe in what the Bible says, and it says that if you plant corn, you're going to get corn. If you plant nothing, you're going to get mud, because the rain and the sun are going to come, and God's going to bring that on on the rich and on the poor. And so you're going to reap what you sow. It says the diligent. Prosper Mm -hmm. diligence is excellence in the ordinary. Our mutual friend, Orthodox Jewish Rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, talks about that, you know, the way wealth is built in the Jewish community, and and we've learned so much from him, is it's an act of service. Wealth comes from serving. Now, are there people that are crooks that become wealthy? Yeah, but they're actually a very small percentage Hmm. when you get into it. Because it's very difficult to become wealthy when you're a crook because word gets around.
0: And typically, if they're doing it with impropriety, they're going to get caught at some level, whether it's the government or others. Let's go back to our, our book that you've written, Baby Step Millionaires. One of the things that struck me are the number of people and the timelines. You're the data guy. Give me the top 100 you know, folks that have become millionaires timeline to get there once they completed the baby steps. Mm-hmm. And what were their income ranges? I mean, because some of these folks are school teachers and mail carriers, and they're not people making six-figure no. incomes. No, they're not. As a matter of fact, one-third of them never had a household income of over $100,000, 33%.
1: And the typical millionaire... Let me, let me
0: interrupt. Is that typically double-income homes? Couldn't be.
1: It's just household income, period. What, what do you Bottom see... Bottom line
0: is, how much income did they have to throw at this issue? Okay, but sidebar, how many couples today generically are generally are, or double income families are, are most of them. Most people are nowadays. Okay. Yeah. And most people, I
1: mean, average household income in America today, 71,000 that's average. And that includes poverty and which is you
0: know, what now 28,000 or less yeah. or 32.
1: My point is it includes people making 14,000. Right. Right. It includes people on welfare and 48% of Americans pay zero income tax. That's a problem. So if you look at, but that means that they're not earning is what that amounts to. They're not earning up over these deductions and poverty lines and so forth. And so
0: so back to your point, my, my third, point is a third. lot
1: of people make over $100,000. Okay, 2 thirds of them that become millionaires make over 100000 at some point in their journey. The average millionaire took 17 years from the time they started building wealth, and they, it's whenever they started. And usually that involves three or four years of getting out of debt in that 17. And they're paying off their home in 11.2 years on average. Our followers, the Ramsey millionaires that we studied, we studied them in a separate group, a separate bucket, are paying off their homes typically in about nine years. Wow. And so just a couple years earlier. But the paid-for home, four dollars 700000 over a period of 8, 10, 12 years, and investing in your 401k and 80 plus percent of the companies in America, they have a match investing in your 401k in a Roth and good growth stock mutual funds over that decade. And that paid for home that it's typically those two things. That's what we found in the vast majority, probably eight out of 10 millionaires. It was, they were 401k and paid for home millionaires, whether they were baby step millionaires or just had started from nothing and did it not knowing who Ramsey was at all. But it was a fairly simple and boring formula, actually. There, was no, mm-hmm. there were no fireworks going off. There was no A-plus students. The average millionaire's got a 3.0. And number one was engineer. Number two was accountant. Number three was teacher. Interesting. Uh, number four was manager, which can mean a whole lot of different things at companies. Number five was lawyer. Doctors didn't even make the top five. Wow. Mm-hmm. Medical doctors are somewhat like the music business. They're stereotypically horrible with money. There's a lot of reasons we talk about, but they're number six. So, but you used to be a doctor, lawyer, banker in the top. small town in the fifties or sixties where the people you looked up to, and they were the ones that built wealth. You know, if the banker's a manager, they might've made it in there, but most of them aren't bankers. They're just running a business or they're somewhere in middle management. But what we did figure out was the psychographic of this is these are all process people. They all follow processes, engineers, accountants, teachers, managers. Loggers. They all have are used to submitting themselves to a a set of principles, the law of gravity. We're gonna, you know, we're not gonna drive off this cliff. And so they're very much gonna follow a system. Whether it was my system or but they're just gonna invest steadily, they're Mm -hmm. gonna get out of debt, and every one of those occupations follow a system. Now you could be an artist to still follow a system. Music is a system, so you can be a you know a music artist and and still become a millionaire. But if you're just going to be harebrained and you don't submit yourself to proven sequential proven sequential processes, you're willing to you have to make up your own thing all the time. You're not going to get there because you're just wrong.
0: When you we talk about these couples that call in and you know listening to your program, it's sad sometimes, Dave, and it's comical sometimes. Because they've heard you say this stuff (laughs) for so many years, and then they ask the same exclusionary question. Well, wouldn't I be better to lease a car? And, you know, at some level, it's like these processes work. Why can't you just even try it for a couple of years? I mean, it's interesting, the resistance to.
1: Well, I guess it's just human nature to look for the shortest, easiest route. and but, But it ain't working. It doesn't work, but it's why you buy a lotto ticket. I mean, your intellect tells you, if you have any, that buying a lotto ticket, your statistical probability of actually winning approaches zero. So far that if you walk to the market one mile, you are 12 times more likely to be struck by lightning (laughs) statistically than to buy the lotto ticket. But what if I won? (laughs) And yet we still somehow in our... Silly little minds go in there and buy a lotto ticket. It's the same exact part of our brain that we all have. I mean, it's just I want to do it easy. And what we're trying to convince people with Baby Steps Millionaires is this is the fastest right way to get there. And it's not sexy. It's kind of boring. It's kind of a yawn. Some of the reviews on the book have been like, oh, gosh, I went right to sleep. It's okay. I'm okay with that review because I didn't. All I want to tell you is the truth. If it has to have, flat, you know, ShamWow to get the thing moving, I, I don't need to do it. Is he still know? around?
0: <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> hey, camera guy, um, when you look at, again, I know it's boring at some level, but help out people that maybe are going, I could never do that, Dave. We make $48,000 a year. We've got a $700 mortgage. We've got three kids we're trying to maybe put in a Christian school. I know you're going to say baby steps, but the heart of the matter for them is... Well, if you keep doing what you've
1: been doing, you're going to keep getting what you've been getting. The definition of insanity is continuing to do the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So you got to try something different. So why not try the two of you turning off the television, put the kids to bed and let's get on a budget and let's give every dollar an assignment. Jesus said, don't build a tower without first counting the cost. lest you get halfway up and you're unable to finish. And all who see you begin to mock you and say, this man began to build and was unable to finish. Planning is biblical. The mind of man plans his ways. The Lord directs his steps. Planning is biblical. So sit down, do a budget. That's being intentional with your money. No one wins at any major component of our lives without intentionality. You don't accidentally become good parents You don't accidentally randomly have a great marriage. You don't accidentally have a career that is prosperous. You don't accidentally win with money. It doesn't work that way. So sit down, do the budget, begin to do that. And then you will find money and then you will start asking yourself, okay, how do we use this money to create a better life for ourselves? And then that's going to lead you to the baby steps. First, save a thousand dollars and then let's get you out of debt. Because if you can get rid of that car payment. $48,000 a year, we can change your life. Oh, and here's the weird thing. As people start doing this stuff, the number of people that do a debt-free scream, we do three a day, so 15 a week. The number of people that do a debt-free scream that their income has gone up during the 25 months that they got out of debt, during the 31 months that they went out of debt is almost 100%. It's 95% of the people that do their debt free Scream their income went up during that time. And I ask them over and over. Sometimes it went up because they went and took an extra job to get out of debt. Sometimes it went up because they just looked over and went, you know, I need to make more money. My job sucks. I really need a better career. You know, I've got to start thinking about this. Or they go, you know, I don't think that God called me to do this thing here. i I just kind of got stuck in a rut. And by the fact that they needed money to move their plan along that they had laid out, they go find some money. And so the number of times that they end that story at $48,000 in with income is almost never.
0: Unbelievable. When you look at, and I know there's so many surprises in this. One of the things that shocked me, one of your events I attended, you had a promo video, 54% of America's small business 54%, 54%, is that correct? hmm yeah, yeah. You see a lot of these men and women who call in, end up in a small business endeavor. Mm-hmm. We use the word entrepreneur a lot, but these are people that, what did you say, as long as there's a garage, mm-hmm. they'll be- <laughs>
1: free, The free enterprise system will live, be live and well, you know? yeah.
0: Do you have a sense of the number of people that get into listening to you know Baby Steps and Total Money Makeover who say, I could do this on my own as opposed to working for the corporation or the company?
1: No. But what does happen a lot is they start a side hustle. Okay. And sometimes the side hustle starts making them more money than their job and they quit. And that becomes a business. They didn't really set out to do that. They just went, Oh my gosh, this is out of control. Mm -hmm. I need to go do this thing. I'm making $70,000 doing this. And I was making 30 doing that. I'm not, how am I going over there to work? I'm just going to do this. And, but it's birthed in again, just this scrappiness, this hustle and grind mentality to accomplish some of these goals so that I'm not sitting in exactly the same place 10 years from now that I'm sitting today. Mm -hmm. Still in debt, still worried every month, still every time I go to the grocery store, I have a shame attack because that happened to Sharon and me. I mean, I remember going through the grocery line going, when we buy these groceries, I wonder when I get home if I got the money to pay the light bill Mm -hmm. because I had no plan. And when you got a plan, you go, we've got this money for groceries. We'd already planned that. And that means there's this money over here for the light bill. So we're okay. And the shame goes away and the, the condemnation. I swear Satan just uses money to just destroy families. The stress around it, the anxiety around it, mm-hmm. it is a spirit, a form of spiritual warfare. That's very real. It's the number one cause of divorce in North America today. Money fights, money problems. So when you can get aligned on these things and... If the reason you did that is because you want to be a baby steps millionaire, great, that's fine. But the reason you want to be that is not so you can walk around with your shoulders thrown back and go, I'm a millionaire. That's not the point. The point is, I want you to change your family tree. I want you to change your life.
0: Well, and when you're not worried about the house payment, you're not worried about interest rates, you're not worried about what the economy, quote unquote, does or doesn't do, there's a confidence. You know, I use the phrase Can you smile at the future? Because no matter what happens, I mean, certainly our IRAs and things may fluctuate over time. And maybe you, you know, get 16% less than you thought you were because of who's at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. But at the end of the day, when the core is covered, there's a freedom Oh yeah, which goes back to your screams. By the way, for people that haven't heard that story, that was not something you planned. The first debt-free scream. <laughs> no, <laughs> oh,
1: talk radio, man. What a what a what a <laughs> venue. It is amazing. What because you, you know this was even before we had a dump button. So if somebody <laughs> cussed, they could it would have gone over the air. You know, lady called from. Uh, gosh, it's probably twenty plus years ago now. She called from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and she'd been through Financial Peace University, and she was just on fire, and she's like, I did it, Dave, I did it, I did it, I did it, I stole everything, Davis! a guy came to the garage sale, he wanted to buy my bushes, I dug the bushes up out of the front yard, I paid off my debt, I'm debt free, I'm debt free, I'm debt free, she just machine me and then she hung up. (laughs) And I'm like, what in the world just happened? She just wanted to announce it, and she was yelling at the top of her lungs. Well, about a week later, this guy calls up from... Wherever Alabama, he's like, Hey, I want to do that. I'm like, You want to do what? I want to do that debt free scream thing, man. I'm like, so he, he, sc- actually, he actually he said the, the phrase
0: debt free scream. He,
1: yeah, he said, I, want, I, I just want to scream. I Okay, okay. And, uh, you know, and he said, <laughs> I said, What do you mean? He goes, well, That lady came in, she called in, she's screaming. She's out of debt. I'm, I feel like the same way I got out of debt. I want, I want to yell. I said, All right. He's like, Hee haw. And I'm like, All right, I think we got a thing here, baby. Let's just dial this in and make it a thing. And here we are. I don't know how many of those are on YouTube. Uh, probably a thousand or more are on YouTube of debt-free screams. Now it's become a thing. I mean, it's just—it's
0: amazing. Well, it, it, you can't it,
1: make that up. Something that just has to be God delivering you a jewel and you just take it in your hand. It's a hook
0: for a song, but you know, it, it's your old facility. People would come in and you come out of the studio and they would just do it in the lobby there. Now you've got these stages here at your new center where people can come and be filmed and audio. And it's a wonderful thing. And three a day. Yeah, one an hour. We do three Four hours a day, so one an hour. We used to do debt free Fridays,
1: yeah. and we would, it was like the whole three hours was debt, and that was just too much. I mean, that's like eating <laughs> seven bowls of Captain Crunch. It was just way too much sweetness, you know. And so that was bad radio. But one an hour is about the right spice in the gumbo, and people, you know, we can stop what we're doing and talking about all these other things and celebrate with somebody. And,
0: and you never get you know, tired of we it. We just
1: need a. We all need a place to
0: celebrate. And you never get tired of no, it. No, who
1: would get tired of it? I mean, people call in and say I'm great and they ask my opinion. Who gets tired of that? You know?
0: Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <sure. laughs> yeah, well, yeah, probably. <laughs> You're at home now, Superman, right? Take the garbage out. <laughs> it, okay, when you think about the future, and again, you got grandkids, I got grandkids, and what a crazy, delightful, uh-huh. I mean, you I always said I would never be that insufferable grandparent and I are. And you look at these little people and you go, Oh, you'll never understand, but boy, I don't want you to go through what I went through. Mm-hmm. I want you to live free of the worry of money and the evils of what that means and doesn't mean. And just enjoy life. Come to Christ. Know the Lord first and foremost, but live without the pressure of the culture that wants to enslave you to debt.
1: Right. Well, and the things that cause people to go into debt, you know, the number of times that you open Instagram and open Facebook in a day is highly correlated to how poor a financial situation you're in because you see other people's highlight reels, not their reality. And then you go try to try to match up with that. And it's just, you're putting garbage in your brain and your brain's going to melt, turn to mush is what's going to happen. And so social media in and of itself is not evil, but in in small doses. But the problem is it's affecting your perception of reality and giving you a false narrative of what life is really like. And so you go buy things that you don't need with money. You don't have to impress people you don't even really like. So you can uh, become an influencer or whatever it is you want to do with your life. And so these are problems and it's affecting the culture, but we're seeing a backlash to it. And the great news is this for our grandkids is they don't have to go through going broke like Sharon and I did. Mm -hmm. They don't have to go through the worry to understand the truth. And the truth is stay out of debt, be on a budget, save, live on less than you make. These are all biblical concepts. I can quote scriptures on every one of them. Build wealth, be outrageously generous, hold it with an open hand, be a steward, a manager, not an owner. That keeps you from getting all puffed up. And if you can teach your kids this and your grandkids this, and so they don't have to have the scars to walk through with the protection of the truth. You don't have to have had a car wreck to know that you don't want to drive the car through the guardrail.
0: Where's the tension and the balance between you and Sharon and Cindy and I learned the hard way? And there's some good lessons from, you know, we never had, I mean, our biggest debt was so minuscule. I think I've told you the story. I was in seminary and tuition was about 1500 a semester. And I was mowing yards, trimming hedges, painting houses, doing wallpaper. Other than rent, we had no car payments. And I remember going to the Swiss Avenue Bank next door to the seminary that had an arrangement with the seminary for 5% simple, not compound, simple interest loan. And it had to be paid off within 90 days. And if you still carried it, you couldn't go back to school the next semester. And that's all changed with every educational system in the world, which is a big topic of yours. But but I remember sleepless nights, Dave, <laughs> for $500. I remember you know looking for hedges, driving over. Hey, can I trim your hedges? I got all the gear. I mean, I was scared. And then mm. twice in our married life, we took out a car payment. When we adopted kids, we needed a little bigger van. We bought a used van, and I took that four-year loan and turned it into two, and we burned through that sucker. And the second time we did that, I thought, you know, we don't have to do that. We didn't have the advantage of having you on the radio. We don't have to do that anymore. But my point is I learned some lessons of the fear and pressure of that. Just like mowing a yard. You're going to get some calluses. You're going to scalp a yard. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to have to buy gas, break your mower. There's some lessons learned along the way. Am I making sense? Mm -hmm. So if we completely insulate our children, not that they'll be estate babies, but they never have to, quote, work hard and learn the lessons, are we losing anything? Well, they do have to work hard, but they don't have to learn the lessons the hard way. You and I
1: have a friend who is 20, 30 years sober. His kids don't have to do drugs and get sucked into uh, an alcohol scene they can't get out of in order to learn. They don't have to have that scar in order to learn. That's not the way to do it. And so, But they do have to learn, learn, in the case of money, you don't have to have felt that pressure, that scar, that, you know, worried about my next meal. You don't have to have done that in order to learn God's truth and stick to it. My kids on how to be married, they don't have to if they come from a family that we, Sharon and I, never went through a divorce. But if you come from a family that was a broken family like that, that doesn't mean that the only way your kids can learn— is for them to go through that. You don't have to learn from pain always.
0: Perhaps the maybe my own answer to my question is, you know, it's more the delay gratification. It is. It's the more, you know, you're not going to be able to instantly get the newest iPhone. You're going to have to get an old, used one, and then save your money from whatever before you get that one. And you can teach kids, you know,
1: work ethic and saving and generosity, and you need to. You need to build that muscle in the kids. But They don't have to have been in a car wreck to learn how to drive a car. I agree. So so it's both and, but yeah, they do need to feel the emotional maturity that comes on from delayed gratification. They need to feel the emotional maturity that comes on that requires, that's required to create diligence, even if they don't have to do it, go find a hedge because they're in debt, you know, but you can still... I mean, Daniel Ramsey's one of our senior executive vice presidents here now, and when he was 14, 15 years old, we put him in the stairwell painting because he couldn't paint that good, and it was in the stairwell. Nobody would see it. So, <laughs> And he ended up having to do it twice because so, he was awful. And, uh, but you know what? It's okay. He got some money for his car, and he learned work, and he learned to complete a task, and he learned to have a supervisor. Our building guys watching over him, making him do it right. But he didn't have to be in debt. to learn to to complete a
0: task with excellence. You and I both have had our share of lumps and criticisms and problems and challenges. And I think the older you get, a 30-year-old woman friend of mine who's had two liver transplants says, everybody has hard. Mm -hmm. We're all going to get hit with something. Encourage folks. They got hard right now. Maybe the spouse, they're out of alignment on their money. Maybe they're out of alignment on one has massive debt and spending habits. You and I both know a giver, Mary's the saver. Help him out.
1: If it was easy, everybody would do it. And so the strain of learning to work together, the strain of delayed pleasure, the strain of sitting down and getting in a rhythm where every single month for 30 years you do a monthly budget where you know where every dollar is going because you are managing someone else's money, God's. And so we're going to do a good job. We're going to do our work as unto the Lord. We're following scripture. We're going to, you know, none of this is easy. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it yields a harvest of righteousness. And so it's like the bumper sticker I saw the other day, which is killing me right now. But it said, nothing tastes as good as it feels to be thin, you know, and it's like, okay, there you go. That donut, that dadgum donut. But yeah, but the, uh, uh that's why they make black yeah, shirts. Yeah, well, and <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, cause man, during COVID I, I gained so much weight it's unbelievable and I've lost 37 pounds, but man, I had to, cause I got so fat and all it was, was that exact same thing. It's the exact same thing. I violated common sense principles that are scriptural, you know, violated the, you know, intake rule. And so, um, no, the, the encouragement is this, it's not easy when you're following biblical principles always works, not sometimes it always works because it's the truth. And once I got my head around that, when we went broke and lost everything in our 20s and got the opportunity to start again fresh, (laughs) once I got my head around, okay, this is these biblical principles of handling money, Larry Burkett, Ron Blue, I'm learning from them. Once I got my head around, this is what God says. If I'll just do what my heavenly father, who's crazy about me, says to do, 100% of the time, it's going to take longer than I think it's going to. It's not in the microwave business, even in the crockpot business. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. But 100% of the time, the end of the story is it works.
0: Dave Ramsey, author of his newest book, Baby Step Millionaires. You can find it online anywhere books are sold. You need to also come to the Ramsey website. There is so much information on the Ramsey Solutions website. You can spend hours. If you've not gone through Financial Peace University, do it. Find three or four friends. You can now do it online as well as in a small group in your home and just step up and take the nine weeks and go through the new and updated version of Financial Peace University. Dave, it's just a delight to be with you. It's fun. I love you as a friend and a brother, and thanks for giving us your time. Well, thank you, my friend. It's an honor to be with you.
1: Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonomorphic, and music composed
0: by Tycho and Blair Masters.